welcome to the first episode of Eastern World 2024 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always are the Canadian who is a walking purple flag, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And despite his actions last year, the guy who loves bread, David Bindley. <laughs> I do love being bread. Wait, that didn't come out right, did it? That Rosario reaction to a loaf of bread appearing just really tickled me. I know, that was, that was my favourite thing in the whole episode, honestly. Yeah, just because it's such a random thing to cling on to. He loves bread. Yeah, oh, I'm glad I signed up for Vidim so I could find a bread icon. I don't even care who the mole is. I was saying spindles before we started recording, like, even though we recorded episode 500, what, five weeks ago at this point, nearly six weeks ago, and Bindles and I was about a month before that, we really haven't actually caught up properly in terms of the stuff that we've missed since the middle of May when we finished Belgia. Because last year was a weird one in the fact that all of our historians were actually recorded in 2022 because we were trying to be on a blitz. We recorded no historians last year. We still don't know what this year's historians are going to be, which is hilarious fun. Mm. Yeah, has Anthony picked a season yet? Uh, he has pitched me one. We are currently in negotiations. Oh, see, so uh, translation, you don't want to do that season. No, I, I would love to do that season. It's just not wonderfully available. Oh, I see. It is a season that we have talked about uh, fairly recently about doing as well, which is an interesting choice. It wasn't the one I was expecting him to say. I think I know what it is, but I don't know whether I should say it. Yeah, we've definitely discussed it, Bindles, because we were having yeah. the same conversation about how how it's completely not accessible and it's a pain in the ass to find. But it would okay. be great for the podcast in terms of yeah. interviews. So it is what I think it is. I think it is worth, at the start of the episode as well, pointing out something else that happened in our filming gap, which is the fact that Carol died. And I know we did tweet about it, and it's a real shame. And obviously, us being us, we'd be like, guess what? We're going to do a Carol season as uh, historians this year in his tribute. But like, I don't know whether we are. We've not decided yet. (laughs) I can't promise that. It wouldn't be a bad idea. It wouldn't be a bad idea, but... Are any of them actually subtitled? Yes, but no. to say it. Yeah, I thought it jumps from season five to season eight for subtitles. Yeah. I don't think Carol's seasons are subtitled. So uh, Angela's celebrity season is subtitled and then everything from Pity Yarn onwards. So yeah, so Carol died and then um, the showrunner? Well, what's that about? Not he didn't die, but... <laughs> well, he's basically dead to us already because he's leaving after this season. And... I mean, he worked on the first season, then came back for Angela's first celebrity season, I think, and has done every season since. That's a long time as showrunner. He must be, I assume he's fairly old? Yeah, he's... Looks like it. 60s, I'd say. Mid-60s, late 60s. Yeah, not as old as Bertram. No, Bertram. Bertram's, what, 85? Mm. Yeah, Somewhere around he's there. never going to retire, though, is he? <laughs> I can't see Bertram being the type to just sit around. <laughs> no, I think he would. And I say this is someone who he added on Facebook and I have a great deal of appreciation for him. He's never going to retire because I think it would drive him absolutely bonkers if he retired. Yeah, he's a guy who tr- who circumnavigates the globe multiple times for every show he films. I can't see him just being like, okay, now I'm just going to sit inside my living room all day. Yeah. I can't actually find out how old producer Rick is, but I'd guess he's in his 60s. 
Yeah, especially because you don't just, uh, if you work in the TV industry, you don't just get to be showrunner right from the start of your career. So I was thinking you, you probably, you'd have to be middle-aged before you get, you get to be a showrunner of any major show and then do it for 20 years after that. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how it changes next year because, you know, you think different people, different ideas. But then again, they're probably just going to promote from within and make exactly the same mistakes they've been making the last few years. Yeah. Did you actually read the interview he did? No, not yet. I didn't. Um, guess what his favourite season was? Oh, God. Was it South Africa? No, surprisingly. It was a very good choice. It was El Salvador and Nicaragua. Ooh. Oh, really? Yeah. And I can kind of see it. If he's doing a, a victory lap this season, I can sort of see the El Salvador Nicaragua vibes in this opener. If I didn't know that he'd said that, I would have been like, "Oh, has he been watching El Salvador Nicaragua recently?" Yeah, I can say that. Was there anything else interesting from his interview? Uh, he said that it's a constant burden of his existence to keep coming up with clues that the uh, fans aren't going to pick up on. I can. I was just thinking that after twenty-four seasons with the same core audience. That's a tough task, especially when now there's so much, so much uh, data and analytics that fans use to figure out who the mole is now, such as the, like 20 years ago, you wouldn't have follow the money, for instance, amongst yeah. the amongst the fan base, really. Or just as a widespread thing that somebody could go onto Instagram and there are three or four different Vidim fan accounts that all do the follow the money thing. That would be very accessible to everybody. He was kind of hilariously unfiltered with his opinions on the fans being a pain in his backside, which was fun. <laughs> and it was interesting to note right before we started up, I saw your comment that uh, he, he he's not a fan of doing live finales, so it doesn't seem like he's the most fan-friendly showrunner out there. Yeah, he basically said in that interview that it was an entirely network decision to do live finales. He hates doing them because they're really, really hard from a production standpoint. And we've all been away as well. We've all been to places the UK government has advisories for. I've been to, as Logan spoiled on episode 500, parts of the Caribbean that they say don't take valuables out in public to. You've been to a literal war zone. And Bindles has been to Sydney, where rumours of children being stored in holes in the ground have caused there to be a warning for any families flying there. <laughs> I just went to El Salvador two weeks ago, uh, speaking of El Salvador, Nicaragua. Yeah, no, <laughs> Yeah, it's a, a literal war zone. Not anymore. They're all in jail now. <laughs> I get to say it one more time. And Fuzzy gets to potentially put it on her bingo card one last time. Me shouting, <laughs> a literal war zone. Yeah, it was so safe there walking around. Uh, it was funny. I, I befriended uh, two 20-year-olds and we hiked up a volcano together. And they were supposed to be a group of three. But the third person told their parents that they were going to El Salvador, and the parents said, no, you're not going to go there. But uh, yeah, it was fine walking around at night. Yeah, there were, I didn't see anything uh, going on. Actually, it was it was much more dangerous in New York City when I went there for the Mason Race 35 finale right before I went to El Salvador. New York City was much more dangerous. There was random uh, screaming and shrieking in uh, Times Square where uh, police had to get involved and uh, yeah, some weird moments on the subway there. And uh, yeah, when I was in El Salvador, going through malls was fine. 
every tourist attraction was fine. Yeah. And apparently, yeah, they've just thrown all the criminals into this humongous prison. So that's, uh, that's how they do it now. That's how they cleaned up the streets. That sounds like a comic book series waiting to happen. That sounds like Arkham Asylum. Yeah, they all just break break out together and mayhem bedlam ensues. Well, you'll uh, be pleased to know that my parents' reaction when I said you were going to El Salvador was, why the bloody hell is he going there? See, that's uh, there were a lot of people nervous about me going there, but yeah, it, I, it's nowhere near the most dangerous place dangerous place I've been to. I didn't even get spat on like a, like we did in Toronto. Toronto was more dangerous than El Salvador. Zero stars. <laughs> and how was your death-defying trip to Sydney? Uh, wasn't too bad. I, di- I did a lot of things <laughs> and a lot of people. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Like I did... I went to see a lot of the places that Amazing Race has been and all that sort of thing. Some of them were a lot easier to find than others. That annoying statue with the anchor, I walked past about six times before I realised that that's what it was. I went to Bondi Beach, which was terrible because it was raining and there was basically nobody there. Went up into the mountains to go and look at pretend dinosaurs, which was fun. I tried the pizza place from Netflix Mall, which okay, I don't want to say it was bad, but I don't think I've ever eaten a pizza before where like you've taken a bite and the, the first thought you had with the aftertaste is, did somebody have KFC 20 minutes ago and not wash their hands? Oh, <laughs> that's... Um... Like it, it was... Like I, I got a pepperoni pizza, but it tasted like fried chicken for some reason which was not the most pleasant thing I've ever had in my mouth. And again, you know, I was in Sydney, walked across the bridge and all, you know, all the touristy shit, really. And then I asked a friend of mine, you know, where's a good beach to go to that's not going to be packed? They t- they told me, you know, go to this one that's sort of out of the way. Did not tell me it was a nude beach. <laughs> so that was an eyeful. Anyway, how was your holiday, Michael? I wasn't angling for that, but it was uh, it was very very warm. I mean, I, I've said this to pretty much anyone who asked at work in the past week or so. On the Saturday when we were uh, about to fly back, it was thirty two degrees in Barbados where we mm-hmm. started and ended the cruise. The Bridgetown Airport is the world's hottest airport. There is zero air conditioning, um, so that was fun. It was actually colder outside than it was inside. And then when we landed back in Manchester on the Sunday morning, it was. Six degrees Celsius. Oh. Yeah. Kind of jealous. That sounds about right. And it was actually warm for December in Manchester. That was not pleasant. I met a lot of colourful characters. I mean, I've warned you guys, I've got 19 different things from the holiday to to mention. I'm not going to do them all today, but um, the major highlight, I suppose, was meeting a tour guide in St. Martin called Wendy, who is... How can I put this politely? The rudest person I've ever met. And you've met me. Yeah. What would be an example? We need we need one we need one Wendy story. <laughs> so she'd lived in St. Martin, as you guys well know. St. Martin divided into the Dutch side and the French side. French side was much more useful for me because being a French overseas territory, could still use my mobile. That was great fun. 
but she lived on the Dutch side. She'd lived there for 30 years. She's from London originally. And she just was contemptuous, constant. Oh. She said, all men are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the starter of this. Um, she went to great lengths to say, St. Martin is known as the friendly island. Nobody wants for anything. There's no rich, there's no poor. Everyone is just equal. And then we went past some super yachts and she's like, look at those rich bastards over there. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not even exaggerating. She said, I actually wrote it down and and messaged it to my brother because it made me laugh so much. She said, within a two minute space, nobody wants for anything. And then as soon as we went past a super yacht, it was, those boats remind me of how poor I am. (laughs) Linking it into episode 500, which I'll talk about in a minute. If you remember the nine lesser cities um, category and the clue about uh, Richard III's body being found in a car park of a monastery, she was talking about Richard III being found in a supermarket car park, and I actually corrected her, and the look of disdain that she gave me for saying it was a monastery, even though I'm right. Oh, she was awful. Did you say that you just had it as a trivia question? Um, No, I, I didn't want to get into that. She'd probably never heard of podcasts. Um, she was just a genuinely awful person. And if this gets back to her, I don't really give a shit. You're awful, Wendy. I actually ended up complaining to the cruise line about her. I went to the um, the excursions desk and complained about her, which I've never done before, because she was so rude. Oh, wow. Another fun thing from the cruise is the fact that every evening they had like late night snacks. And there was a, I suppose, a rumour going around that there was a group of feral teenagers who were just being dickheads to everyone. And I'd not come across them at this point. And it was Christmas Eve, babe, in the drunk tank. And I were, I went to the late night snacks and there was a line of eight Victoria sponges. Victoria sponge was the nicest cake that I had on the cruise. And I had a lot of cake. You guys know me. I love cake. Just like how uh, Rosario loves bread. Yeah, exactly. I love cake like Rosario loves bread. You are correct. Um, and literally, dead on 11 o'clock when it opened, I was waiting, because I could see these Victoria sponges right next to me. One of these teenagers went round the other side and cut me off and put three of the eight Victoria sponges on his bowl and was about to get cream on it. Went for a fourth one. I got the tongs that you used to pick him up and batted him out the way and said, leave some for the rest of us, you greedy bastard. So I've now <laughs> reached the age where I shout at teenagers for being so bloody greedy. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Just imagine what you'll be like in 10 more years, Michael. <laughs> oh, I know. I did also warn you guys that I took a picture for you whilst I was away. This was literally, I'm going to send it to our Facebook group chat now. This was literally the first shop that I saw upon landing in uh, Barbados. Quayman Megastore. Yeah. It was Kuriman Megastore. As in Jan Kuriman. It's not the same family. But I'm like, I can't get away from fucking Vidim. <laughs> <laughs> Did you buy uh, just several items of the of one thing? <laughs> I I didn't. We didn't stop. That picture was actually taken um, from the side of a golf cart in Bonaire because we did a golf cart excursion when my brother drove me around the entire island, and that was hilarious fun because um, we were pissing off all the traffic. They can only go about 15 miles an hour. <laughs> and one final thing I do want to mention is actually a uh, guessing game for Bindles because mm-hmm. in the pool area they were playing various music mostly terrible versions of christmas songs i refound my hatred of all christmas songs from when i worked in retail from being on yeah. this cruise because all of the versions were routinely terrible but there was one song that i heard where i'm like surely i'm mishearing this 
and it was a song from Eurovision. Yeah. Can you guess which Eurovision song I heard on a boat in the middle of the ocean in the Caribbean? How, how recent are we talking? Probably 2000s? Late 2000s, I think. Maybe early 2010s. You're never, ever going to guess which one it was. <laughs> what was that awful one that went viral? Um, Rockefeller Street? No. If I told you it was a Belgian entry, would that help? That. Two in fake languages, an Elvis impersonator, disco for some reason. Am I getting close? No, not even close. <laughs> it was the smash hit Me and My Guitar by Tom Dice. What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I heard it and I'm like, surely that's not Me and My Guitar. <laughs> and then I kept listening and I'm like, it is Me and My Guitar. What the actual hell? That is the most random Eurovision song choice I could possibly think of to hear on this cruise. So yeah, <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Which countries did you go to, Michael? I was hoping you were going to ask that because I'd, I'd written it down deliberately. Uh, so we started in Barbados, then it was Curacao, Bonaire, then St. Vincent off of the Grenadines, Grenada, mm-hmm. St. Lucia, St. Kitts off of Nevis, Antigua, St. Martin, and back to Barbados. Which was your favorite? Or how, how would you rank them if you had to rank them? Oh, they're all the same. Yeah, they they are basically all the same. I've said this to my parents. They're basically all the same. It's just sand and occasionally nice water, depending on whether you're on the Atlantic or Caribbean side. St. Lucia was our favourite because the excursion we did that day was really cool. We did like a land and sea excursion. So we did all the sites and botanical gardens and stuff in St. Lucia. And then we went on a catamaran for the afternoon. And literally as soon as we left the port in uh, in St. Lucia, we saw a pod of dolphins, which was really cool. And then they just kind of parked up outside a five-star hotel and uh, let us swim in the Caribbean, which was really cool. But you did kind of have to dive off the boat, which was terrifying. Oh, how like a big 10-foot jump or something? Um, Yeah, it was probably about five or six. But you're kind of diving face first because of how awkwardly the jetty, I suppose, you jump off is positioned. You dive in face first, and then the current is really, really strong where we were because it was the Caribbean side. Not experience in diving face first into something wet? Nope, I leave that to you. St. Martin was obviously tainted by Wendy being a knobhead, but we quite enjoyed St. Martin. Bonaire was the golf carts, which was really fun. Curacao we really liked, although my brother's hat did blow away that he bought in South Africa, which he was a bit mortified about. In, I mean, Grenada was tainted by one of the excursions we went on where there was a woman who spent like 20 minutes while we were waiting for the excursion to start trying to get my dad to guess where she was from. She was from Russia. Um, and then she basically treated the tour guide like her personal tour guide. So she would just drag him away and ask him questions and just generally irritate him to the point where people started leaving our bus and going to the other one because they just didn't want to deal with her. And being that she was on a bus full of Brits, she did get a sarcastic clap when she came back like 10, 15 minutes late at the end. Oh, good. And then she was on the same boat as us in St. Lucia. Thankfully, uh, nowhere near me. Speaking of boats, I've got a boat story. Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about cruising and we've not uh, gone to your experience yet, Bindles. Um, So I found a place that does jet boat tours on Sydney Harbour. Um, So, you know, I paid the, what was it, 50 bucks, whatever it was, to do it. They, They stuck me right on the edge of the boat and, you know, they're doing all the tricks and everything. And all of a sudden, they stopped halfway through, and they they singled me out and like, "Do you want to switch places with the guy next to you?" And I'm like, "Not really. I'm fine. I don't know 
Like I, you couldn't work out why. And then they kept doing it and I sort of, you know, paying attention. And I didn't realize because I was, you know, looking at the edge of the boat and trying not to get wet and all that sort of stuff. Didn't realize the old Chinese man sitting next to me had thrown up about four times right under my feet. Oh. Yeah. And I'm like, and you wanted me to switch places and stand in that? Or like, I get they wanted, you know, him to, you know, get on the edge of the boat. So if he throws up, he throws up in the water. But. So they wanted to switch. So yeah, you would be sitting in vomit. (laughs) So, you know, standard Sydney experience. Yeah. And final quick fire round before we actually start the episode proper. I went to see Hamilton the week after we recorded episode 500. It was amazing. Jeopardy UK is actually pretty good. I really want them to do well because, you know, I want a second series and I want to be on it because I did the run through and undefeated champion. Suck it, everyone. Uh, Traitors Canada. Have you seen it, Saunders? It was amazing. Yeah, I watched it. Yeah, because uh, the I was supposed to go to Vancouver right before the start of my vacation. I think I told you about that. Long story short, the Vancouver portion of my trip was canceled, so and I didn't have to work that day. So I believe from about eight o'clock at night till four, two or three in the morning, I watched the entire season of Traders Canada. <laughs> the ending was so weirdly edited. I know, I know this isn't a Traders podcast, and I know that might have hit one of Fuzzy's bingo squares, but yeah, baffling ending. Australia two. Amazing ending, wasn't worth it for the previous eight and three quarter episodes. New Zealand, far better than it should have been. Brilliant ending. UK 2, three episodes in as of the recording of this. Eh, yeah, it's all right. The cast isn't as good as the last series yet. They're a bit too try-hardy for me. Yeah, I want to catch up on all the major uh, Traders franchises. Cause, yeah, I did Traders Canada. I really I really enjoyed it. Just um, just with how just how random the Canadian uh, celebrities are that are chosen for it. I never thought in a million years there would be a competitive reality show that would have Much Music VJ, uh, Rick Campanelli, mixed with Erica from Survivor, mixed with uh, Kevin and Kuzi from Big Brother, mixed with Mickey, of all people, from Amazing Race Canada. Who chose that group? I was just thankful it wasn't a Voldemort Cellini, to be honest. Yeah, that'll be season two, I'm sure. But I was thinking, is this just going to be the norm for every Canadian season now, where they're just going to pick one person from each of these franchises and just see how they react to one another? And Mickey played the most Mickey-esque game I think uh, I could have imagined. And then uh, Kevin Martin, pretty much having the most Kevin Martin-esque downfall possible. My favorite thing, and I know this isn't a Traitors Canada podcast, my favorite thing of the entire season was Kareen actually having to put her hand on Kevin's shoulder to calm him down because he was having such a tantrum. Yeah. (laughs) Settle down, settle down, kid. (laughs) Why are you voting me? I just bragged about how I'm invincible and will not be voted out the rest of the season, and now I'm being voted out 20 minutes after I thought I was golden and permanently safe from uh, being murdered during the night. Fuzzy's bingo cards. We followed along with Fuzzy's amazing bingo cards. Really just a highlight of El Salvador Nicaragua for all three of us, I, I suspect. She did find the Get It Motherfuckers on uh, episode nine, although she didn't beat her personal target, which was getting to a bingo before you got to the mole, Logan. Uh, at least I get one victory. <laughs> it's about time you had one. Yeah, I am at pains to add, it is the only mole that Logan identified correctly last year. Out of four? Five? Yeah. What about what about Deborah? 
<laughs> we would be remiss as well if we didn't mention that Belki is going to Sicily. If they keep up the mafia ideas, that's going to be delightful for us to cover. And also potentially get a hit put out on George Costa. And also it means that we're guaranteed really nice food at the finale orders. Because they'll, oh, mi- yeah. they'll, they'll, give us oh. they'll give us something Italian. It'll be great. I got hot dogs and donuts last year. It was awesome. I want those humongous cannolis. Yeah, we're putting our request in now. Papa Bear, if you're listening, <laughs> food give <order>. us cannoli. <laughs> I should email him. Let's be honest, it'll be a pretty much four months to the day that we see you. Give us some cannoli, please. And if you can ship some down to Australia, that would be great. For all the bingo writers as well, Harmstone Heights, Dogs and Logan's Monkey Videos, you're welcome. <laughs> Netmall also won the Eureka Productions Award for Best International Series at the American Reality TV Awards, apparently. What the, what the hell's happening with with the Netmall 2? Was it filmed like a year and a half ago? I, I was saying to Michael about a week or so ago, we know nothing about it yet, aside from the fact that they filmed in Malaysia. And we, know, we only know that because they filmed half of Amazing Race Australia there and they basically stayed there straight after they finished. It was the same for Netmall 1, though. They didn't actually reveal anything apart from the fact that it took like six months to film until mm. the trailer went out and everyone went, oh, no, you're doing those challenges, you're going to ruin them. Yeah. But they, but it, was, it wasn't as big of a wait between when they filmed and when they aired Netmall 1, right? Oh, it was like a year. Yeah, it was well over a year. It was about, 50, about 15 months. But has, when, when, when did when did Netmall two film? It feels like that uh, was a long time June, ago. July last year. Yeah, so it'd be longer. Oh no, no, oh, oh, twenty twenty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. It was. It was pretty much around the time that um, Amazing Race Australia was filming. In Malaysia. Yeah, I think it was longer. Because they they basically finished that race in Malaysia, and then instead of you know going home and coming back, the production crew just stayed in Malaysia for a couple of days until Netmall started filming. Oh, what's probably throwing me off is that Netmall 1 aired so, so long ago, because it aired in October of 22, right? It did indeed, yes. Yeah, so this that's what's throwing me off. When we were recording El Salvador, Nicaragua. It was indeed, because we kept making jokes about it. Mm. And um, I also would love to talk about episode 500 as well. It was, I was saying this to Bindles before we started recording, it's one of my favourite episodes we've ever recorded. It was so much fun for me. It was a celebration. Yeah, I had such a blast doing the uh, the clues and just talking shit with you guys for nearly two hours, to be honest. It was a delight. It's great fun being the guinea pig for that. So. Vidum. Yeah, let's now actually talk about Vidum, because this is a very old cast. In fact, as Bindles and I were talking about earlier, 39.2 is the average age of this season, which is dead on the Arthrancortius line. <laughs> it took me a second as to like what the what the hell are you talking about? Who's <laughs> We've not talked about her for two years at this point. Yeah, just everyone's favorite older woman. It was dead on her age officially. She was thirty nine point two. She was thirty nine. <laughs> so it's an off cast. Yeah. It's always an cast. Also, I do appreciate their commitment to copying what Belkia did but six years ago in uh, going back to Mexico, so I cannot wait for them to do Vietnam next year. Oh yeah, because of South Africa too. They're doing the same pattern. 
And uh, I was also thinking too, I'm just getting out now, why are they reusing Mexico again? They reused South Africa, now they're reusing Mexico. It's the showrunner's final season. You think he would want to go somewhere new? I wonder whether it was all because they loved the idea of the Dia del Topo and making it actually themed around Mexico. I know they could have technically done that elsewhere, but if you think of something like that, you you think of Mexico straight away. Yeah. I, I think we mentioned a Day of the Dead reveal in um, Albania. Uh, not Albania. Yeah, Albania. I think we were suggesting it at some point. I was actively campaigning when Belkia did Mexico for them to do a Day of the Dead theme challenge. So as soon as we got that trailer for uh, Mexico 2, I'm like, holy shit, they're doing it. This looks awesome. And spoilers, it's a Meet the Mole challenge, which I love anyway. It's a heavily themed Meet the Mole challenge, which I love. I obviously love the first challenge. I even I actually wrote that down too, saying this is the best opening challenge Vidim has done probably since Georgia. Yeah. I yeah, was easily. blown away with how much I enjoyed this challenge. Mainly because it makes it super obvious who the mall is. Um, <laughs> spoilers. One final bit of admin as well before we actually start is that suspect list and first suspicions, please fill them both in. The links are in the bio everywhere and all that sort of stuff. It will close at 7.30pm GMT on Saturday, not on Sunday. Some moron, namely me, accidentally left the Belkia time on uh, the suspect list. So all of the notifications do indeed say it's Sunday at 8.30pm. It is not. It's Saturday at 7.30pm GMT. I did both. I did I did both before the due date. You did indeed do the first suspicions. I have spotted that. I'm proud of you. I did the suspect list too. Good. I, I can't... Well, I can go digging into about who's on the suspect list, but I, I, I try not to. We don't care about that for, <laughs> for nine more weeks until uh, Brig does a back-to-back win. Because he has claimed that he won last year, can I point out? Liar. <laughs> so we open the episode at a fiesta in Mexico City and a fortune teller offering to tell us the future. The first person we meet is Tuska. She sees an authentic orchestra before being frightened by the locals in their face paints. And she's led to the fortune teller who welcomes her to the day of the mole. And she picks card number four, which shows her an umbrella. Ella. Ella. A, a. Well, I have just come back from Barbados, so yeah, you are... I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> the entire excursion that we did in Barbados was heavily Rihanna-themed, because there's not a lot else in Barbados. Was it just, was it just murals and statues of Rihanna everywhere in Barbados? <laughs> Within five minutes of leaving the cruise terminal, we saw Rihanna Drive, which is where she used to live. It has been renamed. Oh, really? They actually, have the, they actually mm. call it Rihanna Drive? Yep. Do they play Shut Up and Drive by Rihanna when you go down Rihanna Drive? We didn't go down it, we just passed it, but uh, yes, we saw the sign for Rihanna Drive, we also saw the condo where she lives now. And do they have like burned pictures of uh, Chris Brown there too, all around uh, Barbados? Oh yeah, it's a uh, a national hobby to spit on pictures of Chris Brown. Yeah. The vet, obviously, from I'm a Celebrity, rather than the uh, terrible musician. Uh, she picks card number four, which shows her an umbrella, Ella, Ella, A-A, and she's got ten minutes to find a person with the same symbol who will give her a torpedo. If she returns with a torpedo, she will be given a rice jelly. I wish someone would have screwed it up and would have been given a taquito instead. I just love that they have brought torpedoes back. We kind of guessed that they would when we knew they were going to Mexico. I think we did actually talk about that on the podcast, that we sort of hoped they'd uh, they'd bring back torpedoes. When was the last torpedo? Oh, probably Hong Kong, Philippines? I was about to say, that was going to be my guess. I don't think there's been one since the... Uh, the challenge in the Philippines, where they had to match the colours. 
I feel like there has been, but I can't remember. There might have been one in China. If there has, there's only been one since. Yeah. Probably someone in Dominican Republic that you've uh, mentally blocked out. Or maybe your Rowan got one in Oregon. I don't hate Dominican Republic as much as its reputation. Yes, obviously the the terrible clue derails it a bit, but the cast is pretty fantastic. I mean, there are a lot of jokes to be made from Dominican Republic. To the ER. So she doesn't have a watch or a phone, but the lights around her are counting down, which she doesn't even spot. <laughs> How many of those? Was it just the one set of lights, or were they, do they have a bunch of lights set up all around there? I couldn't really figure it out. I presume it was a bunch of lights, but we only had a view of one of them anyway. It'd be funny if they also just... Just to show how much she was ignoring all of the clues as to how much time was left, if they had somebody scream, nine minutes, and she just didn't pay attention to that either. What else has Tosca done, Bindles? Because people were very excited about her. Uh, she used to host Dutch Idol. Ah, did she? Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I could <laughs> <good> to know. <laughs> I couldn't find many weird, quirky things about these people, except for one line in Rabs's blurb. Yeah, I just remember when the cast was announced, people were going a little bit mental that Tosca was actually on the season. Oh, I was I went so mental about it. I was thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, I have the Tosk? Tosk is in this cast? I have to watch this season. <laughs> I'll be very closely following what's going on this year because of Tosk. The fortune teller tells her that the mole was trying to beat her to the necklace, and she was too fast for the mole, and by selecting one of three other cards, she has earned an exemption for episode three. Ooh. Anna is the second person, and we also see that Fonz is uncomfortable with being in an outdoor haunted house. Hey. Oh, those jokes are going to get very old very quickly. I just hope there's a jukebox challenge, or jumping a shark. Get to the Caribbean side of uh, of Mexico and make Fonz... <laughs> be around a shark. The jokes will rate themselves. I think they already jumped a shark last season. You really hated last season, didn't you? <laughs> yep. It's probably my least favourite Mole season ever. And like I sat through all 712 episodes of Mole Australia 6. <laughs> you didn't see Germany's reboot. <laughs> Not yet. Arguably Netmole was worse than that. but It's like the Homer Simpson and Bart Simpson meme. It's the worst season of the mole you've seen so far. Yet. (laughs) (laughs) Anna picks the crown and Fonz picks the bell, which, let's be honest, no one would willingly pick as their symbol. Uh, Yip picks the purple flag and Case picks the pyramid. Anna runs out of time and returns empty-handed, but she doesn't really seem upset about it. Mm. And then Rosario creams over bread, Justin picks a cactus, Yaron goes for scissors... Rianne gets a purple heart, and Babs finishes it up with a mermaid. Yeah, it's kind of disturbing that the bread had icing on it. It's just fairy bread. It had sprinkles and everything. (laughs) I love bread. (laughs) Oh, sourdough. Yeah, Eugene Levy walks in. Show us your buns. (laughs) Oh, man, Rosario. You're going to have a tough time on this podcast, buddy. Yeah, sorry, Rosario, you are going to be the butt of all of our jokes. It's going to be as tough as the bread. Now, one thing I did want to point out is something that was actually mentioned on the Bells of our Discord earlier. Do you think that there were actually ten different cards for every person? 
I, I would assume there had to be, yeah, that they just, um, oh, you mean like when they have the selection of 10 cards, all 10 cards are the same? Yeah. That's a good question. Good I am question, yeah. convinced that all 10 cards were the same for each person. Because I actually worked this out last night because I'm me. The chances of everyone getting a different card is 0.036%. There is no way that those cards do not mean anything. Mm. I was about to say the you you would think one of those cards would be a hidden clue pointing towards the identity of the mole. My theory on it is that the mole was wearing their symbol, and that that will be used as the reveal, because I'm pretty mm. sure that I identified where the mole was hiding in this, and I'm pretty sure who it is just looking at the body shape and everything if it is them off the back of it. Bindles and I were sort of skirting around this discussion earlier, but I think the mole was probably wearing their symbol, and that, that the reveals will be the mole hooded, wearing their necklace as the hint for people to get it ten seconds faster, and then take the hood off and reveal who they are. That's my my theory on it. Yeah, this isn't the last we're going to see of the fortune teller. No, no. And also, logistically, ding ding bingo square. Probably, the mole had to have gone last in this. It probably wasn't aired in the order that it was actually filmed. Because nobody met each other. Nobody knew who else was on the cast until day two. Yeah, They made that very clear. I wish uh, they would have made it really obvious in this challenge where whoever, if the mole went to last, after running around nine times, if the mole was just uh, just beat red and sweat drenched and uh, <laughs> and just completely out of breath. And it's like, yeah, I think that's the person who's been running around nine times racing everybody else to their symbols. I don't think it was necessarily rigged as to who got the exemption and who didn't, because obviously the mole probably wouldn't have given six exemptions away to get six grand in the pot. But mm. the mole had to have filmed last. The mole had to have filmed with everyone else in their face paint and costume and everything and then do their own thing. I figured they were either first or last. Yeah, just from a what we saw on the screen point of view, because I was looking back at my um, South Africans notes for the premiere a couple of days ago, and in that opening scene with Averon in the theatre, you can tell immediately that Soy, Yura, and Sarah all know each other straight away. There's none of that in this episode. Nobody has even a hint that any of their friends are on this cast until day two. Um, it's interesting that they don't really seem to know each other this season, considering how many of them are journalists who'd be in the same sort of field. Yeah, I think they're probably all familiar with each other, but I don't think they are friendly as as we saw with South Africa. But yeah, nobody seemed to know who else was on the cast, which works perfectly in the mole's favour here. Mm. Because they can pretty much get away with it. Yeah, they, they wouldn't even know who to look for when they're trying to get the symbol. No. So Yeroen and Rianne both find their tapitos and return in time. Yeroen gets a fry sterling for episode two, and Rianne gets one for episode one. Then Yip finds hers with the purple flag, but it seems that the mole was too fast for her, and Fonz gets the same treatment. Fonz had a terrible strategy. He just kept touching that one random guy's chest and just would not leave him alone. He just wanted to sit on it. I thought it was very interesting. He just, it was like, you know, there are hundreds of other people in this area to ask, right, Fonz? Uh, that person's not the only NPC around here. I just thought it was really interesting how the Yip and Fonz scene was portrayed compared to 
someone else's reaction. But we'll get to that at the end of the episode. Rosario, Babs, and Case all return on time as well. Babs gets episode one, Rosario gets episode two, and Case gets episode one. And they are all also told that the mole said it was so nice to shake hands with them on their way in. Then we get the montage of everyone walking in backwards. The same person is staring at the camera in every single one of those apart from one. And who who, who would that be? Anna. I am, against my better judgment, very tunnel-visioned on Anna already, because it appeared, and I say this knowing that Justin's in the cast and is a drag artist, it appeared to be a woman in a red shawl who was staring dead at the camera in every single one of those scenes. I have Anna high up on my suspect list after this episode, so... We all do. Me and Bindles both have her first. <laughs> Independent. I think I, I have her... Yeah, and I put her third, I think. You did indeed, yeah. I am really suspicious of Anna, even though she gets a bit of credit in the second challenge for earning them six grand. I am really suspicious of Anna after this first challenge. Yeah, because the mole wouldn't want to get their torpedo because then there'd be less money to potentially earn for the pot. And if it's her in that outfit, the, the one we both think it is, it does look like that outfit does appear in the background of her walking in, but it, it kind of looks like it's a different person in the same costume. Yeah, there's one, I think it might be Anna, where the same outfit walks past the camera, but you mm. don't actually see the face. Whereas yeah. in... I think it's everyone apart from her and Fonz, you see someone staring dead at the camera on the intro. Mm. And also thinking about it logically, it's probably not going to be a bloke with facial hair because it would be tough to do the face paint around that and not make it obvious. Especially yeah. if it's someone like Fonz who has very light facial hair. So it's not going to be your Rowan off that as well with his very dark beard. <laughs> yeah, the Spanish beard. Yeah. Arguably, it could be Justin, but it'd be too too obvious putting mm. a drag artist in that position straight away, especially when he's going to be Justin rather than Janie in this season. Probably won't be Rian because there wasn't anybody there with that body shape. It's obviously not going to be Babs because, you know, <laughs> she gone. <laughs> yep, yeah, she's out. Yeah, it basically narrows it down straight away if it is that person to Anna or Yip. And everyone's now going to be in a tunnel with us. It's going to be fun. Yeah. The Anna we'll... Tunnel. Enter the Anna Tunnel. I, I think several people already have. Yeah. There is a small bit of irony for us as well in doing a season set in Central America where we're in such an Anna Tunnel after we took the piss out of Saunders for seven weeks for suspecting Anna in El Salvador, Nicaragua. So Rick actually turns up before 20 minutes. He says mm. the mole started this season brutally. Nine people have shaken hands with the mole, and one by one they jeweled with the mole. They've been warned. In every assignment that they try and win money, the mole will try and stop them. Or production will freak out and say, oh man, 6,000 euros up for grabs. We better get to work on this. Yeah. That narration was spectacularly dull, even by Rick's standards. And the sepia suit did not help. Do you want to know the hilarious thing about that? I actually noted it down as, add the speech in later, because it was too boring to note down now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love how it was like 19 and a half minutes in, where like even last year when he turned up really, really late, basically missed the entire first challenge and then turned up halfway through the second one, even that was only about 15 minutes in. I love how it's like, 
even more part-time than he was last year. So we're assuming this is going to be his last season too? I'm assuming so, yeah. I'm hoping so. Traditionally with this sort of stuff, they um, they have a hard reset if the producers change. So I wouldn't be surprised if it is his last, his last season. Hmm. Did you also see the the video online showing who else was sitting in the crowd? No. I don't know. Was it, uh, I don't know, Ruben? It wasn't. It was Rick. They actually painted Rick up to be one of the, the people in the crowd. Oh, oh, really? That's what he was doing on night number one. That's why he didn't appear in the first challenge. Huh. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, it was revealed on the uh, the official Vidim podcast uh, the day after the episode went up. Was he the one in the blue shawl? Uh, he wasn't, surprisingly. Huh. My favorite part is that we have uh, Rihanna as a contestant this season, and she looks like she could have been one of the fortune tellers. So we then get the intro, and just like I said last season, I swear the trust nobodies are getting longer and longer and longer. It was a good, like, seven seconds this time, and I think they're probably doing it just for me. They're slowing it down to 0.5 speed? Trust. Yeah, you went here for, for Vidim last year. I noticed that between the trust and nobody, there is a spectacularly long bit of silence now. And it feels like it gets longer every single episode. Is that because they're running out of interesting footage to put in the subsequent season? So it's like, let's just let's just draw out uh, Horace's bit. Yeah, because if you think about it, when Horace said it, he was like, trust nobody. But in the in the episode, they put in that weird camera sound effects and stuff for the family photo, and it gets longer and longer silence. It was about seven seconds this week, I think. It was really long. They have to start doing remixes. Like, uh, what's that? What's that one? Te- like the one techno remix style that they do for a lot of songs or random memes now. Uh, was it the Harlem remix? I think it might be called. They should do that with Trust Nobody. Well, what I did last season, and spoilers what I'm going to do this season as well, is we end every episode with a Trust Nobody, but in the gap, there is a clip from the show. Or from yeah. our show. It's usually one of yours or Michelle's greatest hits, Saunders, because they really tickle me and I love every excuse to use them. <laughs> this week's isn't going to be that. I've already done this week's one. That's a shame. I have a Saunders one in reserve, but it's not going to be a Saunders one this week. It is yeah. from the episode this week. Oh. Uh, so we also see from the intro that the locations this season are Mexico City, Merida, and Bacalar, and the episode title is Giving a Helping Hand, and Rick meets them at the Chapultepec Palace. Yeah, it's supposed to be a really nice park in Mexico City. One of my mm. friends that I graduate university with, he did a big uh, YouTube video, because he's become a travel vlogger now, he did a big YouTube video there in that park, because he lived in Mexico City for a while, and uh, one of the previous presidents of Mexico actually reached out to him and did an interview because he was impressed that the park was being featured on YouTube. I really try and make Rick seem foreboding here, but, you know, unfortunately it was autocorrected to ball boring. Yeah, as you said, the sepia suit didn't help, but also the fact he does his intro from literally at the Chapultepec Palace. We see him walk over to the contestants, basically. Did he shake hands with all of them? Uh, No, he only shook hands with them all. That's one of the clues. Mm. So the candidates who failed the night before to earn an exemption now have a chance to earn money and take the exemptions away. They must talk one-on-one with the others and figure out who earned an exemption. Each correct vote loses its hold of their exemption and earns the pot a thousand euros, and they are also told that six people have an exemption. 
How would you play this as a mole? Hmm. Spread the... No, I guess you want to... That's a good question. Make sure, I guess, try and get everyone just to try and vote for the same person. Yeah. Not you. you, you, you this is the one time as a mole, I guess, where you wouldn't want confusion. You'd want to be very direct and say, this is what I think, and I think you should vote this way too. Because the confusion is why they earn the 6,000 euros this time, because everyone just spread out their votes as much as possible. It's like the final five of Survivor 45 all over again. No one knew what the hell to do. Spread out the votes, and suddenly you're 6,000 euros richer for the pot. I've also just remembered we didn't talk about Survivor UK, which was... Awful pre-merge and pretty good post-merge. It's the most I've enjoyed Survivor in years. The mm. post-merge. The pre-merge, not so much. Apparently had the funniest episode ever, I kept hearing. Yeah, there was a particularly hilarious moment in one of the episodes. It's got no chance of coming back, regardless of them opening up the uh, the potential casting for a second series on the BBC. It's not going to come back. It got terrible ratings. I think about seven of the 16 episodes made it to the top 50 in the country. After all the catch-up was added in and everything, it was pretty rubbish ratings. But yeah, the post-merge is probably better than anything Survivor's put out in about five years. Oh. Just from an entertaining point of view, and actually the edit was pretty good. I did peg who the winner was going to be um, from sort of early merge, I'd say. But yes, there is a particularly hilarious moment involving a, uh, a lobster trap and someone deeply fucking off his advantage. <laughs> He, he said fucking up a lobster trap, Logan, not fucking a lobster trap. Yeah, yeah, don't get excited, okay. Saunders. Yeah. <laughs> we could hear you acting like you're Rosario with a loaf of bread there. <laughs> Just a bit of lotion. <laughs> oh, God, there's a there's a comment to make right now, but I'm not. Remember, if you, if you get crabs, you've gone too far. <laughs> I guess... Uh, nope, nope, not going to say it. Keep going. <laughs> Bindles is lucky I didn't do a joke about dolphins earlier. <laughs> wow, that was a tough joke to avoid. Okay, let's keep going. Going back to the tactics of the mole in this challenge, um, I think it all depends on whether there is going to be a pot drain, in which case it'll be going back to one of last year's episode titles of Old Man Shouts at Pot Drain. Because if there's a pot drain, you don't really care as a mole what happens here. Yeah, mm. you... You don't really care if people got exemptions or not. It makes no difference to you. If there isn't going to be a pot drain, oh boy, you need to stop those people losing their exemptions ASAP. And if there is going to be a pot drain, there's no real harm in acting fanatical like Anna did and getting everyone to vote for a different person and making sure there is money, but act like as a decoy. It was really interesting that because she wasn't the driving force of that tactic. It was Babs, wasn't it? It was indeed. She was given credit for it on the episode, and mm. Fonz called it Anna's communist plan when they got the money. But she wasn't the driving force. Babs was. Yeah, that's why I put Babs right at the very bottom of my suspect list right after this challenge, where I was thinking she came up with the correct tactic to mm. pretty much guarantee that they would earn the 6,000 euros, and that she goes home first. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting that Anna got all of the credit in the edit and she didn't really do much in the way of the plan. She just planted the seeds with Babs and let Babs do the work for her. Yeah. In that case. Which makes me think if she is the mole, there's going to be a pot drain coming. Well, you'd have to think there's a pot drain coming considering where, like the kitty at the moment, is about where it was at the end of Albania. Yeah. 
Do you know when the last season to have a end of episode one total higher than six thousand five hundred was? Not off the top of my Portugal? head. Portugal. Look it up. It was Canada. Hey, it was close. Oh. I was really close on that one. I said Portugal. No, there's an Atlantic Ocean in the middle, Logan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been twenty-one years. Twenty-one years since the part has been this high. Is that like the the elderly woman eighty-four years meme? <laughs> there has never been a celebrity season that has had an episode one part this high. Hmm. So each person with an exemption also gets a vote and can eliminate other exemptions. And they've got three minutes to ask whatever questions they want in a speed dating fashion. There's nothing to talk about here. Yeah, I was about to say, I have almost no notes on this part. (laughs) It's a whole lot of, you know, do you have a question, which is basically exactly the same as the are you a traitor question on the traitors. It doesn't mean anything. It's just going to end up being a vote based on, you know, I don't like this person. Yeah, we've done this podcast for so long now, and this is what, season 12 of Mole? It's like 12 seasons of doing Mole podcast this. I know when you guys have nothing to talk about, because I just hear you both go, <sighs> Yeah, I mean, this challenge was fine. Yeah. It's just tough to dissect. So yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't think it was a bad challenge at all. I thought this was a great challenge to tie in with the first one. I think this was pretty much yeah. the greatest sequence of opening challenges for a premiere in a really, really long time. Mm. It's just tough to dissect. Yeah, I, I will say... As an idea, I like this speed dating a little bit more than I like the Day of the Dead thing if you don't count the bit where the mole was there. Like, I think that one, because you're watching it, you know, one at a time and people can't really see each other and all of that sort of stuff, I think that feels a little bit more like an amazing race roadblock where, you know, the first person is interesting, maybe the second person is a little bit less interesting, but then, like you can see in the episode, the other seven or eight basically just got montaged together because there was nothing else to really show. I mean, I'm on record as loving Meet the Mole challenges, so a surprise Meet the Mole challenge at the start of the season inject that right into my veins. This one, as, I mean, there's a certain degree of irony in me saying this on a podcast, but nobody really likes to watch people talk. No. It's not the most interesting television to just watch people just discuss things. Yeah. You can do challenges that are like this, but you've got to have some sort of, I guess, negotiation or strategic aspect to it. Um, Northern Ireland starts with the season, and Northern Ireland starts with a challenge that's basically, we're going to give eight of you torpedoes, and then you decide in pairs which one of you gets to keep going with the torpedoes you've got, and then whoever has all the torpedoes at the end gets an exemption. Like, that's a good way of doing pretty much exactly this challenge. This one, not so much. The most interesting thing about this challenge is the ending of it, because mm. we don't see the votes. We see four of the votes. We see a fifth one on the way to the last challenge. There are yeah. still five votes we don't see. Because mm. we see Juskin's vote for Tosca. Tosca's vote for Babs, even though she said she wouldn't. Your own getting eliminated by Case. Case being eliminated by Babs. Then we get told Rhiannon and Rosario lost theirs, and we later see that it was thanks to uh, Fonz that Rianne lost hers. We don't know who eliminated Rosario's exemption. Was was Fonz the one who had the really pointless lie in yep. the van? Yeah. <laughs> that is one of the most pointless deceptions I think I've seen on Vidim in quite a while. 
Why lie about who you voted for in that challenge? Especially when you already told Rosario what you were going to do, and Rosario just rats him out to everybody, and then Fawn's like, nope, 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 that's not how I voted. That's not how I voted. I will say this now. If he gets far enough into this season, I have a very strong feeling that Fonz is going to be my favourite. Because he just does such unnecessary shit all the time in this episode. And it's delightful. It's like he's like the new scene in uh, Chan. Yeah, mm. exactly. Racket Fonz. Also, people were comparing his looks to uh, to Yora. He doesn't look like Yora. He looks like no. Johan from China. There's a couple of people here who look like people. And Fonz is not like one. Sorry, there's a couple of people here who look like people, and Fonz is not one of them. Yeah. Headline: Not everyone looks like people. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, so I, I know I can't, I can't remember who I, Logan. You said somebody before. I can't remember who it was that you said Case looked like. But I like I looked at him and I'm like, how did they get Jeffrey Rush to learn how to speak Dutch? <laughs> Oh, if only they were, if only they had this season set right in the Caribbean. Yeah. We need the Black Pearl exemption. I'm hoping it's not Anna, because like when I was at uni, I had a tutor who looked exactly like Anna, and I did not like her. So I really don't want to have to be stuck with that for 10 episodes. So Justin takes the six grand and then is elected treasurer. Fonz, as we said, lies about who he voted for. He said he voted for Euron, but it was actually Rianne. And Rosario immediately calls him on his bullshit, which is... Also going to be funny if he lasts long enough. And their final assignment of the episode is in the Santa Carolina Square. Justin said that it was all romantic until they met Rick, becoming the first gay man on Vidum ever to think that. Yeah, it's a perfect sort of allegory for the whole the show in general. It's great until Rick turns up and then the romance is gone. Sort of matches how the show's developed. But also, Justin ending up as the treasurer is the first time a drag queen has ever managed to hold on to money. And oddly enough, they had the vote between him and Anna. Or the penny, the penny macer. Well, Anna can be trusted because it was her plan that got them the six grand. Yeah, if there's anybody I trust with uh, to hold on to money, it's a communist. Mm. So Rick is looking for five people with a sharp eye for detail, and Rosario, Yip, Justin, <laughs> Rosario, Yip, Justin, Yaron, and Fonz volunteer. It's going to be really hard not doing a soft J with Justin. Yip, Yip is uh, uh, just. I always think of Sesame Street whenever Yip's name is uh, is said out loud because I um I just always think of like those little monster things that go Yip 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 Yip. yip. So anytime her name is said out loud, that's that always always pops into my head. Don't worry, I I realize this one's going to make no sense to you, Logan. But every time I see Rianne, I sort of think of that meme of Tina Malone on Celebrity Big Brother. <laughs> yes, she does look like Tina Malone. <laughs> it's like the Simpsons episode of people who look like things and other people with the, <laughs> when they have the guy with the pumpkin head. Yeah. <laughs> some people look like people, some people look like things, some people look like inanimate concepts. Also, going back to um, to Jeopardy UK, if I can't get on a second series, I want to write for that show because they are having a blast with some of these categories. Yeah. The very first episode had a category that was things that lasted longer than Liz Truss did as Prime Minister. The balls on these people. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's so much better than you said it was from the from the run-through. Uh, it's so much better than Wheel of Fortune is. Yeah, I mean, we didn't really talk about me doing the run-through, even though it was solidly during Belkia season. 
But the run-through was a little bit dry with the categories. They weren't enforcing the who is, what is, which pissed me off royally when the one Daily Double that I didn't get, the girl who did get it, was still awarded it in Double Jeopardy, even though she didn't say who is. Yeah. Uh, that really annoyed me, because she should have lost, but thankfully I won overall. I think it would be very interesting to do a studio version of it, where I could actually see my own score and stop gambling so much, because it would have been interesting to see what my score actually would have mm. been, rather than 876 hypothetical pounds that I won. I think it probably would have been somewhere in about the three grand range, to be honest. Because I guessed a lot on things that I shouldn't have. So not quite the, you know, hundred grand or whatever it was I ended up with in the run-through for episode 500. It was, I've still got a note down here, 102,843. So, you know, slightly better than Michelle. Oh, if she ever listens to this podcast, she's going to have words with you for that. She was so angry with me. Oh, well. I love doing episodes with Michelle where she just gets apoplectic with me. Yeah. Why was she angry? <laughs> because she just couldn't get in on the buzzer with with you. Oh, right. With you and Anne. <laughs> and even when she Ant did, was fast. Anne was really fast. I was very impressed. I mean, you saw it on the video version. I was shocked at how fast Anne was in some of them. But you and Anne were really quick on the buzzers. You weren't that that much slower than him. And anytime she did buzz in first, she generally got it wrong. <laughs> so she was getting rather annoyed. <laughs> So those five must paint a Frida Kahlo-style self-portrait, which the other five must match to the originals to earn 500 euros for the pot per painting. Three of the other five, Anna, Case, and Tosca, must unlock 25 paintings behind locks in boxes in the square, while the other two review the pictures, which is Rian and Babs. The five painters are taken to Frida Kahlo Park, where they must prop themselves up on a bed to simulate her semi-paralysis, and I'm not even reading out a Belkia <laughs> description here, and are given the 30 minutes to paint their portraits, to see their painting, they must pull two cords, which lifts their canvas. However, this being a note diabolique challenge, it also lowers the codes that the three in the park can actually use to unlock the paintings. How were, how would they be able to... Con- did they just radio over to the other... Because like, uh, they're so far apart, I have a tough time believing that it would be uh, a direct relationship that they could uh, enforce. It was certainly heavily implied that it was a direct relationship. Hmm. Yeah, it's just how, how, how I'm just curious, just the logistics on how they uh, pulled that off. I, I wonder if maybe they filmed it half an hour apart or something and then sort of, you know, sort of timed when they raised and lowered it to when the paintings were lowered in the original and just sort of had, you know, the video going in the background or whatever. That's probably a good shout. That's probably how they did it. Yeah, because I kept trying. That's what I was thinking, too. I'm thinking this, this couldn't have been filmed at the same time. It's not like it was electronically set up at all. So in the park, Case stays with the combinations as he doesn't have his reading glasses because he's trying to attract any source of suspicion even though he's not suspicious. Fonz suggests looking through his eyelashes to pick up the key details as that's what his art teacher told him to do. Like I said, if he lasts long enough, he's probably going to be a Harmstone favourite because he's just batshit insane. So the time runs out, they only rescued 12 paintings. Only one of Rianne and Babs can go upstairs and see the painted works, while the other sees the rescued ones. They can also purchase extra paintings for €100 per painting, but they already agreed not to spend anything to stop Anna stealing more money off them. Yeah, I was about to say, this was the correct strategy to not waste all your money. When there's only €2,500 available up for grabs, and you have to spend 1300 that's a very razor-thin potential uh, profit margin. I mean, they did get a lot of stick for not doing it. But they still earned 500 euros. There was only a difference of like 700 euros that they had uh, bought the paintings compared to how they performed. 
I, I would have maybe bought enough to have at least two of each type. Like, because I think two of them, they didn't even have a picture, really. Um, because, they, like, they had four of the five for a couple of them. And then the other ones, that one of the, the one they got right, they only had one, I think. And I can't remember the other two. The key piece of information, I think, was that Rick said they would get a random one if they bought yeah. it. So yeah. They may, they may have ended up having to buy, what, eight pitchers to be able yeah. to get one of each or nine pitchers yeah. to get one of each. Did they have to determine the number or could they write from the get-go or could they say, okay, we'll buy one. Okay, we'll buy another one. They had to do it before the time started for them to identify. Yeah, so that's yeah. what I mean. They would pretty much It's pretty much an all or nothing hmm. scenario because you don't know exactly which ones you're going to get. So you're likely going to say, oh, I'm going to spend all 1300 or I'm going to spend nothing at all given those rules. And as Saunders well knows, the bonus question on this week's suspect list, I'm going to try and remember to do this every week. The bonus question on this week's suspect list is which team the mole was on in this challenge? Whether they were a painter, an unlocker, or an identifier. I would assume the mole was a painter. I mean, if you're going by what Anna said at the test, you would say, yeah, I'm going to play the odds. The mole was a painter. Five of the remaining nine were painters. But it didn't really go wrong on the painting. No, the... It's interesting that Babs sort of pointed out that the painters really couldn't do much because they could only cost 500 euros. Yeah. But if you're the mole, you know that the levers are controlling the numbers. So if you're, you know, doing a lot of painting or a lot of not painting, whatever it was that actually controlled the thing, all you have to do is do that, then they don't get enough time to look at the numbers, then they don't have many paintings, they have to buy more that's going to cost them a lot of money. Like, there is a flow-on effect from being a painter here. Yeah. I think the bigger piece of damage you can do is in the latter two teams, in either the unlockers or the identifiers. That's the easier place to be as a mole. I guess the, as the ident- if you're um, one of the identifiers, that means you'd want to be the one on the bottom level, right? Yeah, which Babs was anyway, so... Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. Like when, as soon as they had the two identifiers, I was thinking, um, those two are at the bottom of my suspect list. And even the way they were talking to each other yeah. was how I would expect two uh, regular contestants uh, try to figure out this challenge. And they're, and yeah, I just think the other the other two roles, you could do a lot more damage to uh, to how much money would come in. Because you could really limit Rian and Babs's uh, success as to how much they could earn. Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was uh, interesting that they had a lot. Well, they had half an hour, but they still only got twelve paintings. And like I would have thought, you know, look at a number, go and try that number on all of the locks until you find the right one, then mm. come back and do that. That would have been faster than the clusterfuck that happened. Yeah, what I would have done, given there was three of them is I would have had someone trying random numbers anyway. I would have had one person on random numbers, one person shouting out what the next number off the board is, and one person trying it in every single one of them. And then the person identifying on the board picks another number and goes to that. You need everyone working at the same time. Because it doesn't matter if the board goes up and down then. Yeah. Two of the paintings were hilarious. One was... uh... Frida Kahlo as the Undertaker from WWF Professional Wrestling. And there was one where even the contestants coined it themselves as 
uh, Frida Potato Head, which <laughs> is a bit of a Spanish pun because if you get French fries, it's in Spanish, it's uh, Patatas Fritas. So it's Fritas Potato Head. Patatas Fritas. Yeah, Patatas Fritas, yeah. Patatas Frida Kahlo. So when their five minutes are up, they were missing three of the correct ones and only matched one of the other two, earning them 500 euros of 2,500 for the challenge and 6,500 of 8,500 for the season so far. Wait, wouldn't it be 12,500 as potential? <sighs> yes, I was going to say this. I mean... <laughs> That's technically what the max they could have earned for this episode. I was going to say this after the the speed dating challenge. I personally would say yes, it is twelve thousand five hundred is the maximum because yes, technically they could have had ten thousand in the speed dating challenge. However, the mole was never going to be picking their own, so that's a thousand euros straight away. And also, it'd look hella suspicious if the mole was the only person who didn't get a torpedo. So the mole would have gone last if the if the other nine had matched, the mole would have gone last and gotten their torpedo too. Yeah. So I mean, yes, technically twelve and a half thousand is the maximum, but on the screen it did say six thousand was the maximum for that challenge. Yeah. It's like when they didn't it's like in uh George or was it Japan with the karaoke uh yeah. challenge where they didn't put out a million euros. Yeah. <laughs> The, the million euro challenge, yeah. I mean, for that challenge, we did do a reasonable amount, which I think off the top of my head was 3,000, we said. I've not decided whether I'm going to count it as 10,000 or 6,000 yet, um, but on the screen, it does say 6,000. So that's what's in my notes this week. I'll have a think about it this week. <laughs> yeah, think about what you're doing, Michael. I so often do. <laughs> so it is now time for the test. 20 questions about the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows these goes home except for the mole who can never go home. The test takes place at the Museum of Contemporary Art. Your own says it feels like you're taking an exam. He suspects Fonz, Justin, and Yit, as well as the rank outsider of Babs. Babs feels like she got a lot from this episode and is afraid of being tunnel visioned already, but she feels confident. Fonz is on two people and wants to know whether he's right or not. Tosca lied to him about the exemption, and also he's suspicious of Yip's joking attitude. It's very hard not to say Yip's joking attitude there. Yip's joking, joking attitude. Wait till she gets some jokers. Joker, yeah, so it's the yips yoking attitude about some jokers. I already can't say what I write down. This season is not helping. We're only one episode in. Rianne says that Fonz has potentially tricked her. Should she believe him? Yip suspects Justin. He didn't really try in either exemption game, which was weird. Tosca's such a good candidate that she just doesn't trust it. And also Rianne's on her list. Yip is high on Justin's list. She's very sharp. Babs remains suspicious. And also Yeroen as he speaks Spanish. He's betting on a lot of people, four, maybe six. Basically, he's the anti-Yan Kiruman. We need uh, Justin to have his name pronounced with the um, as a, with the J pronounced as an H, so it's Yip, Justin, and your Owen. I also do have to point out, can we talk about your quick description for everyone? <laughs> yeah. I do that for every season of, uh, of Vidim. Because I always have a tough time telling people apart. And that's that's how my notes look like every season at the start. And I always have to refer to them uh, for the first couple of weeks. You've never sent us your list of brief descriptions of everyone before. But it really, really tickled me. The Euroan one especially. Yeah, middle-aged, chubby, Spanish-looking dude with beard and glasses, man. <laughs> and, then, and then I laughed so hard at the end when, yeah, when was it Justin says, oh... Your Rowan can speak Spanish. He's known as the Spanish guy. I'm thinking, oh, 
He is half Spanish. Good job, me. The, the scary thing is they're not as ridiculous as the bio I found for Babs, which is like artist slash songwriter with passion for making socially relevant themes danceable. And I'm like, God, could you sound any more boring? Could you sound any more up your own arse? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Up your own Babs. Case says that he has a memory like a sieve and handwriting like a dentist, and these are bad things on Vidim as some details you missed from a mole book. Why should he write down who has slippers? He's going to go for as wide a spread as possible, just like Bindles did when he was in Sydney. Can you imagine, like, oh, this quiz came down to a tie. Uh, sorry, sorry, Keys, uh, uh, but uh, you would have gotten an extra point if you knew who was who wore slippers last night. Anna's tactic is to play the odds. She's picking options that have a plurality of people where possible. Rosario says he could definitely vote for Yip as she feels like a behind-the-scenes mole. He's also putting questions on Anna as she's very present in the moment. And Tosca knows it's unwise to bet on a gut feeling this early from watching the show. She's very hesitant to do it. And my one comment straight after the um, the test scene is, Rick's looking really grey now. Yep. I was about to say, he looks older. Yeah, there was a bad camera angle. He looked very grey as soon as we saw him here. Yeah, he was wearing, he had a really long silver beard and he was holding the cane. Yeah, it's just a terrible camera angle for him. And he says they unknowingly shook hands with the very person they were looking for, gained and lost an exemption, and also earned six and a half thousand euros. And that's just the first bit for most of them. The playing field is level again after three of them lost their exemptions for today. And Justin, Yip, Case, and Rian all get green screens before Babs is escorted off the premises. And they all the person who I didn't suspect at all goes home first. Yeah. Fantastic. History repeats itself again. Yeah, and her saying she was confident when she took the test was the exact moment I tuned out of the episode because I I realised she's going home, isn't she? Well, the problem is I actually had I had her going home spoiled for me by uh, by Bother's Bar because I accidentally didn't meet the episode one chat. Uh-huh. So uh, someone posted in there quite soon after Marika posted the episode, oh, will Babs come back? And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, I've been spoiled already. I mean, I would have guessed it anyway, let's be honest. It wasn't a shock. No, there were... A few bits of foreshadowing in this episode. Yeah. Namely that she was the author of her own fate for going for the everyone votes for the first person tactic. Yeah. It was entirely her own fault she didn't have an exemption for this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. She helped earn money, but yeah, it came at the sacrifice of her own exemption. She might have been a fanatic, but she was consistently terrible at the actual game. And we see Babs head to her execution van and get handed a torpedo by the driver. The fortune teller then comes on the screen and tells her that first executions are hard and that she will have a chance to come back, but there is a paint bomb in the van. Oh wait, wrong show. Uh, she tells her to guard it well as she will need it in the future. Yeah, there's going to be like gunmen coming up to the van and she's going to have to shield it with her life. I was saying this to Bindles earlier, I suspect that the first three boots are going to be in episode one, two, and three, and then episode four, they will probably all get together and decide who gets the complete Tapito as part of an exemption. That's my suspicion. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because it, it does feel like they're sort of redoing the Barbara challenge from Japan. Yeah. Yeah. She's 100% been executed because her picture's grey on the website, and she's already had a diary of the loser. So, she can't come back. They've never done that before for, for someone who's then come back. So yeah. Bye-bye, Babs. We didn't know you that long. Bye-bye, Babs. Yeah. Love the hair. Love the hair. And also, she's not on the uh, suspicions on the app either. 
So it would be unfair to the people who put points on her if uh, if she did end up being them all. Although, to be fair, there was one week last season where they forgot to put... Oh, God, what's his name? Soy? The... Daniel? No, the Twinkie one. Um... You're... <laughs> no, the other one. Uh, Soy. Right, uh, this... Yes. Soy. I said Soy first, yeah. and you were like, no. I, I, I heard Daniel. I thought, well, yeah, I Logan didn't... said Daniel. I said I Soy. I said Daniel, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Put, they forgot to put Soy on the the app last year, which meant everyone knew he wasn't the mole. Yeah. Talking of Daniels as well, one thing I did forget to mention is that finally I got to meet Dan Peacock of the suspect list. Oh. Oh yeah. Um, See so a friendly fellow. Yeah, we met up in September. I want to say in uh, in Birmingham. I drove down there. He got the train, and it took him a lot longer to get home than it took me, <laughs> even though I live further away. <laughs> but yes, we had a, a very nice day. We went to a cat cafe. And it was it was the day that um, Survivor premiered, actually, so we were discussing how shit we thought he was going to be. He huh. was a lot more positive about it than I was. He seems delightful. He is delightful. I've not actually posted the pictures that we uh, we took together, but my profile picture on Discord is actually from when I met Dan. What you can't see in the cutoff bit is, uh, is Dan looking a lot smaller than me, because he is. He's about eight inches shorter than I am. You know what we forgot to mention when we were going through the rundown of everything that's changed this year. The Mole Talk hosts have changed. Yeah. We don't really discuss Mole Talk that much, because they're actually sort of rebranding it as the Mole Talk Cafe, I've noticed. Mm. So, what's the change? Well, the change was that uh, Rop has gone back to his podcast and <laughs> uh, been replaced by... His name is... Rop has... Has a podcast. Yes, Rob has a podcast. Yeah, we like to joke that Rob has a podcast. <laughs> but yeah, he's been replaced by uh, one of Big Brother's ever-changing names, a.k.a. Splinter. Oh, oh, um, <laughs> Pikachu. Yeah, Pikachu. What else do they call him? Um, <laughs> yeah, we came up with a lot. <laughs> I wrote down ten different sidekick names. I'm pretty sure there was a Transformer in there at one point. I had a lot of fun writing that list. I know that. Splinter is his real name, right? I can't remember which one was his real one. Yeah, Splinter is genuinely his real name. Um, but yeah, Pikachu <laughs> was the most common one that I called him. <laughs> so next time, it's time for the Olympic Games, which I'm very surprised they actually include in the episodes because the Olympics are very litigious. They climb a mountain and there's a Tarzan swing, which gives Anna some clammy hands. Well, they dress up a 30-year-old guy as a 90-year-old and have his name backwards. His name is Rick. Oh, I really hope we have an appearance from, from <laughs> Spav next week. <laughs> Please give Babs old age makeup. She's 24. It's perfect. Just, just like a 90-year-old with that hair. Yeah, we, we were already pretty much dead on the Arthbrancortius line. We are way above the Arthbrancortius line with Babs going home. Yeah, I was about to say, when we were talking about that in the back of my mind, I was thinking, she was probably the youngest person on this season. Yeah, the, the average age of the final nine is 40.89 now. Wow. That's an old fucking cast. Which, can I point out, is almost double what Netmull 1's was. And this cast is already better. 28.75 Netmull was. So the final nine of this season are 11 and a bit years older on average. And this cast didn't have to eat terrible pizza. Or get stuck in an aviary. So, 
Now the business at hand. Who do we suspect? Uh, you go first, Logan. I'll go through my list. Uh, Yip at the top, then the Fawns. Hey. Anna. Hey. Uh, Yustin, Yerolin, Keys, Rosario, Tuska. And then I had Old Babs and then uh, Rian uh, at the end. Yeah, I must admit it did amuse me when I saw your first suspicions list that you didn't put Babs in the very last place, given that, you know, she's gone home. She's gone. <laughs> she's gone. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Vindles? Um, I had Anna at the top. Um, I think she was, you know, the right position at the right time. And all, basically all pretty much all exactly the same things that I thought you were last season. Um, then Yip, Fonz, Tosca, and then sort of all of the people. It's not, but I have to put them in some sort of order. Justin, Rosario, Jerowen, Case, and then Rihanna at the bottom. Stop saying Jerowen. <laughs> Justin and Jerowen. <laughs> you do get to be a penis. Uh... <laughs> it's, it's like how all the way through historians, somehow I ended up turning Nicaragua into a five-syllable word, and I could never stop myself from actually pronouncing it wrongly. Yeah, you know why I did it that way, don't you? It's because of surviving New, New Zealand. Zealand and, yeah, I was yeah, about to say, Nicaragua. Yeah, and, and Matt Chisholm constantly going, Nicaragua. Yeah. Nicaragua. I can't help myself. So, my suspicions, right, which will shock nobody, are in order. Shock Anna, nobody? Shock nobody. Um, <laughs> Anna, Jip, Tosca, <laughs> Eustein. Rion, Rosario, Funds, A, Jero, and, and then Case. Um, I mean, without saying too much, they're not going to pick a mole with the same name as the previous mole because that'll just get confusing. Hey, they reuse the same location. They reuse the same yeah. location, but it'll just get confusing if you go, oh, mole, Jero, and you go, which one? The good one or the bad one? We don't speak of the bad one. We don't talk about Jero. Funds, I just. I can't see him being the mole, however funny it would be. I want as many episodes as possible of Fonz, because I think he's going to delight me every single episode he's in. But He is a Harmstone yeah. Favo. He is instantly a Harmstone Favo, and usually that is reserved for the older women falling down, but not yet. <laughs> when Rianne jumps off that cliff next week, maybe she'll she'll bump up there, but um, for now, for now, Fonz has my, my heart. Rosario, he was playing too much like a, like a candidate. I nearly said a faithful mm-hmm. then because I've been watching too much straighters. Then it's Rianne. It's probably not her but I mean as I said to Bindles earlier, there's a massive gap between my first and my second and everyone else. Justin I mean, he was very heavily favoured in the Netherlands as soon as they realised that there was a potential of a man hiding as a woman in the uh, Dia del Topo challenge but I don't think it's him. I liked his uh, execution uh, gear. It was very, it was very close. Tosca, I think she'd be a fun mole. I don't think it's her. Yip and Anna are the only two I could see being that person who was hidden. Anna has the edge because when Anna came back to the fortune teller, she didn't seem that heartbroken that she didn't find the Tapito. Mm. And also, she implied that the mole had removed the necklace with her symbol on it, which was directly contradicted as soon as... uh, when Yip and Fonz both came back, and they found the right person with the necklace, but the Tapito had already gone. So we know Anna's hmm. necklace was still out there, 
she just assumed that the mole had stolen it already, which yeah. I thought was very interesting. And it's not obviously the first contradiction that we've had with Anna in this episode. So she's the one I'm watching. Obviously, going into the pool, Anna is my first pick. She will be the only guaranteed member of Team Harmstone. We will be drawing the pool and talk about it next week on the podcast because Michelle still hasn't submitted her first suspicion, so I can't actually tell you what it is yet. Hurry up, Michelle. The draft order is me, then Logan, then Michelle, and all nine people will obviously get drafted. There'll be nobody left over for next week. Hmm. Mainly thanks to Logan's obsession with Renomi last year, which I completely forgot about. I had it in my head that Michelle had come second, but no, you came second because you were obsessed with Renomi constantly. Renomi. <coughs> the Netherlands suspects, as of Sunday night, this is Anna 20%, Case 18%, Euroan 12%, Yip and Rianne on uh, 11% each, Tosca on 9%, Fons on 8%, A, Justin on 7%, and Rosario on 4%. Who was their number one suspect? Anna with 20%. Wow, that's a lot after one episode. Yeah, and Case... That's a lot of Anna. Case has got 18%. I know we had a lot of fun with Logan's suspicions of Renomi, but to be fair, she is a more Olympic silver medalist. Very true, she is. I did say to Bindles earlier, it's a real shame that uh, you're giving me real suspicions this year, because I would have just spammed Renomi mm. on your suspicions this year. <laughs> this year. She's not even playing, man. Constantly <laughs> putting her on that board, just for my own amusement. Yeah. The final question of this episode is who do you think is going home next week? Uh, maybe Rosario. Yeah, I think Rosario or Case. Rosario's the, the next youngest, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Rosario's the only one left who's under 30. And then it brings up the cast average to what, like 40 or age had average up to about 43, 44, 45 if he's gone? Something like that, yeah. I can't remember exactly how old Rosario is. He's 26, I think. Yeah. Maybe. So if Rosario went, it would be 42.75 next week. Assuming he is 26. <laughs> Which is ancient. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it'll be one of those two, yeah. Neither of them really set the world alight. And we've had hints that Case does not know what he's doing on this episode so maybe it'll come back and bite him it's like when they were t- when the fortune teller was talking to everybody like oh if you uh if you find the symbol you will get to an exemption i believe you call this i i believe this is what you call a rice gelling and keys was probably just sitting there thinking is it uh, i i guess that's what it's called i haven't really i don't really know <laughs> is it? i'll I take your word for it i wasn't aware of that is that a spanish word I, I did enjoy that sort of none of them seemed to realise until they actually said the word for Isteller that that's what exemption meant. Like, they they, they were all stone-faced right through. Oh, and you'll get an exemption. Huh. I believe you call it a Isteller. Oh! Ooh, interesting. Like, every single one of them. But now you have my curiosity. One final story that I do want to, um, want to tell, because I know it'll amuse Saunders having met uh, the three members of my immediate family. My brother was off last week, off work, because um, he had more holidays to use it than I did. And um, he got his hair cut. So we were joking in our family group chat that um, he should send a picture to mum, who is a little bit naggy about us having our hair cut. We were joking he should have sent a picture. And I said, yeah, send a duck face, Mark. Only um, my autocorrect didn't say duck face. <laughs> <laughs> And um, luckily I caught it in time, but I did very nearly ask my elder brother to show me what his fuck face looks like. (laughs) 
<laughs> and with that, <laughs> does he does he have his own place or he does? Yeah, he's he's half a mile down the road from me. Oh, I put my foot down and said he couldn't uh, live on the same estate as me, but yeah, he, he lives just down the road. Hmm. And he bought so he bought a house too. Yeah, he bought a house about three months after I did. Oh, okay. So, on the note of me asking my brother to show <laughs> show me his fuck face, thank you for listening to our Vista Mall 2024 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for another new mall in Mexico. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact us at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on the artist formerly known as Twitter at Logsquacky. Bindles is a groom recapper and I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles, and we will see you next week. Bye. <laughs> Awkward silence, guys. Logan normally does his Oh, yeah. right, right, right. We're at, oh, because I'm used to, because we po- podcasted with Michelle, the whole, whole order is screwed up. Okay. This is a mess. We're leaving yeah. the whole this in. Pe- <laughs> Peace out and just chill till the next episode. I'm, I'm just amazed you didn't ask about the Bridgetown S&M Club. <laughs>